I want to ask you, you guys, generally speaking, and you do, I mean, when you've got to do a deal, I know that some of your boys do deals, but generally speaking, you're at the upper end mm. of fees in the marketplace. Yeah. And I know intimately quite of the guys that work for the office and they just say, no, you know, that's, that's it. I'm happy to walk away from that business. Yeah. Um, having said that, um, you're up against agents that will um, subsidise marketing, cut fees, use low commission as their unique selling proposition. Um, how is it that McGrath's is able to stay at the upper end in, in the fee um, range? So I'll start with an individual. So how, how does an individual maintain their fees? Firstly, you've got to believe in, in yourself and your fees. A lot of people actually don't believe in themselves. And that might sound crazy, but there's a lot of people out there that think when they get business, it's almost by chance and luck. Some of them, that might be true, but for most people, when they get business, they deserve it. So I think it starts with a level of self-esteem and self-confidence to say, look, at 2.5%, in my mind, I'm great value because I know I do a great job, I create rave. And this is not what I'm saying you should tell people. This is what you should tell yourself. I have something worth listening to. I have a great plan. I execute my plan. I cross my T's and dot my I's. And I have zero doubt that I get the best result for the client. That being the case, I should be paid a fair fee. I don't say what people sometimes say, a high fee, because my view is 2.5% for a great agent is actually not a high fee, it's a very fair fee for the vendor. Um, I think the difference between an agent that starts in the business six months ago and has still got a long way to go and is not that good at their game, versus a highly experienced, highly successful agent that does a brilliant job can be 10 or 15% in the vendor's pocket. So if you start with that belief, you've got to understand that you are worthy of it. And, and by the way, if you think about that and you don't think you're worthy of it, you've got to do some work on yourself until you are worthy of it. Not convincing yourself something you're not, but actually becoming really good at your game. If you're not a good negotiator and you know it, and you're saying, yeah, I heard that from John, but I don't think I can get 10% more than someone else, go and figure out how you do it. How do you up your negotiation skills so you can then say, yeah, I, I do get more. And I, and I know some of the negotiation strategies and, and, and approaches our guys use. There's no doubt, and Wayne Walter is a great one in our company, that they can extract 5, 10, 15% just in five minutes and a few questions asking buyers um, you know, uh, uh, as to their negotiation um, strategies can really maximise the price. So that'd be excellent. Next one is fees are bigger in the eye of the agent than the vendor, in my opinion. Once a vendor has chosen an agent, they will feel compelled and appropriate to say, Tom, would you do it for one and a half? What's your best deal? At that point, you should know the vendor wants to use your services. Yeah. And I'm not saying to use it or manipulate it, but move forward with some confidence saying, well, hang on, I think it's a fair assumption that they're not asking the third best agent to negotiate on fees. They're asking the agent of choice, and I'm delighted that that's me. And then you've got a, you've got a choice, so you're in, you're in a strong position, you have confidence in yourself, and you then have the option to say, you know, our fee is at 2.5%. Um, Tom, we're not in a company that negotiates or cuts fees, and I know there are plenty. And I say to people, Tom, you've been offered 1.5%, I'll guarantee you within two phone calls I could get a deal at 1% from that or any other agents. Question is, do you want the best agent or the cheapest agent? And that's a decision only you can make, but they're not the same agent. So, and that's, you know, that's an approach, that's a belief I have. 
And if you say that to someone, if, they've, if you've prepared right, you've done a great pitch, they're asking you to negotiate and you're confident and calm, but certainly not arrogant. You never want to make someone belittled or feel uncomfortable that they ask the question because I think it's great they ask the question because they're doing their job. As a vendor, your job, I guess, is to choose the best agent and then see what's the best deal you can get. That, that's normal. Like when you buy a car, you, you don't buy purely on price generally. You find the car you want, then you say to the car dealer, look, give me your best deal. Same with a vendor. Um, one of the girls I was at Port Macquarie the other day in, in our Port Macquarie office, and she does her average um, fee is about 4.8%. Well, it, it is 4.8. Now, admittedly, her competitors, it's slightly higher pro, um, fees up there, but they're still 3.5. So she's 1.3 more. And, and I said to her, you know, so what do you say when the vendor says, hang on, I've just spoken to four other agents, they're all at 3.3. She said, well, that's their fee and this is mine. And she doesn't say it arrogantly, but she's calm and confident. And they say, so uh, these guys have all said they'll do it for that fee. And she said, well, if you want to go with them, you should go with them. I think I can get you the best price. If I haven't convinced you of that, you probably should go with them. If I've convinced you I can get you the best price, I'm only another 1.3% more, and your house is 400,000, so that's like 5,000 difference. If you don't think I can get more than 5,000 than these guys, you should probably take them. And she's comfortable in it, and there's not a percent of arrogance or disrespect, but there's also not a, not a sense of um, embarrassment or discomfort in having a, a fee that is appropriate and she believes and she's got a great track record of getting terrific results so you gotta believe in yourself so what I'm hearing John is first you have gotta pick yourself before they pick you and if you pick yourself and you're believing what you're saying it shouldn't come across as being arrogant but like very sure and the way you're making it sound like is it's actually more about the final figure they're gonna get and less about the fee which should make the fee look insignificant if you can prove to them that you're going to get them 20 or 30 grand more. William, we spoke on a webinar together earlier and we talked about words change lives. So the concept is you can say something to someone at any given time that shifts their understanding or their belief or their perception that can just in an instant. So if I said to you, Tom, you tell me, do you think the cheapest agent is the one with the lowest fee percentage or the one that gets you the most amount of money in your bank account on settlement day. A vendor is going to say, well, yeah, obviously. So I guess if we took that into the real world, Tom, and said, your home, which is worth, we think, around 500000 if an agent that was charging you 1% got four ninety, and I'm 2.5% and, and I got five twelve, yeah. who's the cheapest agent? And anyone is going to look at that and say, well, obviously you are because I'm going to end up with more money in my pocket. Yeah. But a lot, not everyone thinks like that. A lot of people go into it thinking, well, I guess agents are agents and the house will sell itself. Reality is agents are not agents. The difference between a bad agent and a great agent can be 10, 15%. At half a million dollars, that's 50 to $75,000 differential. Yeah. So there is a big difference in the industry. If you're buying a, a commodity um, that's identical, it's a cookie cutter everywhere you go, you can shop on price confidently because you know you're going to get the same no matter who you buy it from you just want the best price with an agent or a surgeon or a barrister or an accountant the difference between someone that really knows their stuff and is sharp as a tack and gives you smart advice and someone else can mean a lot of money 
Okay, so takeaway points there. Some of the things that John said that I think uh, uh, need to be brain tattooed is the cheapest agent is, in fact, the one that gets you the best price. Yes. Um, do you want the cheapest or do you want the best agent? And they're not the same. And they're not the same. They're not the same. And uh, most of the times, um, it's funny, John, I heard the quote, which was um, hiring a cheap agent is like hiring um, an uh, overweight personal trainer. You're right. actually picking the person that is the, the least competent to be doing the job for you. And what a great metaphor to say to a vendor. Yeah. If they can't protect their own fees, it's a bit like, would you hire a personal trainer that's 30 kilos overweight? No, because they don't walk their talk. And yet you're talking to me about an agent that when you ask them were they discount, they went from two and a half to one and a half in about five seconds. What happens when someone puts in a bid for your home at 475? If they can't protect their own fees, how are they going to protect your price? So again, words change life. As an agent, you need to be a wordsmith. To do that, you need to think about your business, you need to understand what are the important bits, and you need to practice it. Now, when I say wordsmith, this is not about smoke and mirrors, how do I say something to trick them into signing? That's not what it's about at all. It's got to come from a point of solid logic, integrity, um, and, and, and real data. So, again, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, I agree with everything John and Tom are saying, but I actually don't think I'm the best agent, well, become the best agent, because that's possible too. Okay, John, I want to talk a little bit about marketing. You guys uh, are generally, again, at the upper end in marketing. So when our home goes on the market, you seem to see... Um, uh, You've got good inventory online in the um, community products, uh, especially. You've got big display ads, mm -hmm. McGrath magazine. Um, you, you basically have properties that fly at people's faces. You, they're very, very visible. Um, can I ask, is, is that something that is drilled down from you to the group? Um, does, is there a strategy there? How, how, how come? I mean, McGrath appears to play above its weight. For the number of offices yeah. around the country, you appear very heavyweight in marketing. Yeah, good good question. Um, number one comes back to belief. Nearly everything that we do comes back to belief. Um, so, belief number one, we think our role is not to sell your house, but to get a premium price. Belief number two off the back of that is we think the way to get a premium price is to get more buyers to your home to get excited and then compete for it. Number three is the only way we think you can get more buyers to your home is to have a comprehensive marketing strategy. Belief number four, we not only want local area active buyers, which are the low hanging fruit, and you could almost put a signboard out the front, you're gonna get them. We want out of area buyers, we want passive buyers, people that aren't looking every week on the internet and in the local paper. We want um, international buyers, we want uh, investors and we want owner occupiers. So rather than saying we're looking for a buyer, we're saying, Tom, what we want to do is make sure we find everyone possible on the planet. They could be in Dubai, they could be next door, up the road. But we don't want anyone to miss out on the opportunity to know about your home. So whilst we understand that marketing comes at a cost and most people are somewhat surprised that it can be expensive to sell a home, not, that's, that in itself is not surprising because most people haven't sold a house for 10 or 20 years and back then there might have been no marketing costs and now someone's saying well 1% of the value of your home is what I suggest you expend so for a million dollar house that's a $10,000 marketing budget so I understand how people can be a bit surprised but I believe in it, I believe in the importance 
I've had so many experiences where two or three extra bidders that we found because our marketing is comprehensive turned into potentially two or three hundred thousand as a end result. So I just sell it from a point of commitment, conviction and compassion um, that I understand how you're feeling but here's what I'm going to tell you is the best way to get the best possible price. Um, and most it's just a transfer of belief. If you don't believe in marketing, you'll almost never sell it. Um, if you believe in it, it's easy. Because you say, Tom, you know, if you were my best friend or brother or, or family member, I'd be telling you the same thing. I'm telling you how to get the best price. Marketing is critical. Comprehensive marketing is critical. And, and you and I have this conversation often around the internet and online and offline. It's clear that the internet is a very strong provider of sources of leads and referrals and, and buyers and so forth. It's also very clear that there's still a very large percentage coming from elsewhere, local paper, metropolitan paper, magazines and so on, signboards. You know, the old-fashioned little signboard that goes back 150 years still generates a lot of interest. So when a vendor says to me, well, why wouldn't we just go online because that's where all the inquiry comes from, I'd say, well, it's actually not where all the inquiry comes from. It's where a good percentage of the inquiry comes from. But there's a lot from signboards, local papers and so on and so forth. So... I think you've got to be comprehensive, you've got to be looking for people globally as well as locally, you've got to be looking for people that are active in the market as well as trying to interest people that are passive or not active in the market. So that strategy starts with me and filters through the whole organisation. Um, so we don't say, you know, you must go and sell big campaigns. Um, we say, if you believe in the way to get the best price is marketing, go out there and passionately sell marketing. Don't oversell it, although I do say to clients, if you're going to make a mistake on your marketing investment, Tom, here's my experience. If you spend too much, you might waste two or three thousand. If you spend too little, it might cost you twenty or thirty thousand. Because if, if a buyer comes to me the day after we sell your property at auction and they said, oh, I didn't find out about it, well, I'm not on the internet, or I wasn't looking on the internet, well then that could cost you twenty or thirty thousand. Um, you know, we, we sold a property which I, I mentioned at the gym the other day, the real estate gym. Um, we sold a property for eleven and a quarter million basically after an $80,000 campaign many years ago, the equivalent of probably a $200,000 campaign today. We sold it to virtually the neighbour who lived up the road. Having gone internationally, looking everywhere, the vendor was delighted because we left no stone unturned. And at the end of the day, he said, well, if the neighbour still bought it, even though we knew the neighbour was interested when we started, I now know that he was the best buyer. So he was satisfied with that major investment to, to have that insurance. Okay. John, I want to talk to you about closing. Do you think closing is necessary? Do you think closing is overrated? Do you think closing is pushy? What do you see from your people that get the business done? Look, closing is sort of an old-fashioned word and concept and I think when it was originally developed in those terms it probably was a bit pushy. I remember going to many a sales course when I was a sort of a teenager in early 20s where I felt uncomfortable because it, it felt like on some of the closing techniques there was a high degree of pressure and, and even in some instances a bit of trickery. So what I'm saying is everyone will put off making a decision as long as they have to for fear of making a mistake. You do it yourself, I do it. Should we buy this house? Should we buy this car? Um, should we go on this holiday, that holiday? People are not sure. At some point, you need to make a decision or you miss out altogether on any of those things. So my view is if someone has decided to sell a home, they 
probably need an agent unless they're going to do it themselves. And they're going to be exposing themselves to several agents and they'll interview them and then they need to make a decision. So what I do is, once I feel I've earned the right to ask for the business, I ask for the business. But I don't do it and I don't wait and then there's a drum roll and all of a sudden I ask a closing question. All along the way, I check on the advice I'm giving and what I'm thinking, how does that fit with the vendor? So there are certain trigger points as we go through talking about the sale of your property, we talk about pricing and comparable sales. I'll say, you know, Tom, based on these comparables that I think we've looked at, early to mid fives of what similar homes have been selling, how does that feel for you? Does that, is that sort of fit with your expectation? So in a way, that's checking in. And then we'll talk about sale process. So Tom, there's private treaty, there's auction, there's tender, we've spoken about a few different things. Based on the conversation, it feels like auction would work for your property. How does it work for you though? Because your property's not signing me up, you're signing me up. Is that going to be a sale price that would work for you? And we do the same with marketing. So when you get to the end of it, you should actually have ticked all the boxes that said, well, you know, we seem to be aligned on value. We seem to have an agreement that auction's a good way to go. Um, you're comfortable with expending some money on marketing and we'll refine that, but that's roughly. Now I just have to check if you're happy with my approach and with me representing you. So that's what I, I say, words the effect, and they're, they're different every time. I haven't got one strict sentence that well, I, I say. Love, I, I love this, this is excellent, because you're basically saying they've said to yes nearly to every aspect of the transaction. Is there a bit there that they say ultimate yes to the paperwork? Yeah, so, so at the end of it, I'll say, so Tom, you know, based on if we were to go to auction, and, and, and you know we're looking for buyers in this price range, and we expended five or 6000 marketing, and as I mentioned, I could have a photographer here on Tuesday to photograph it, in which case we'll be open Saturday week, uh, have it in the local paper the following Thursday, and then we're up and running. Um, how does that overall plan feel for you? Now, there's sort of really only two things you can say. You can say, well, it feels pretty good, or I'm not comfortable with it. If I'm not comfortable, I want to revisit where you're not comfortable. If you say it feels really good, just say, well, if you're comfortable with that, I would love to look after you. Would you be happy putting me to work? And shut up. Because the jibber-jabber that follows the nervous banter it can just actually talk you out of sight. You're getting to a point now where you want to know, does the vendor feel there's a connection? Do they feel confident in your ability to deliver on your plan? And if so, let's go. That, that shut up silence bit, which um, you actually... Uh, at the real estate gym, you asked a question and there was silence for uh, around 15 seconds. Yeah. And John, to me, that takes courage yes. to not actually open your mouth again because I don't know how to explain it. Just the silence there. It's a lot of power. Most salespeople don't understand the power of saying nothing. Saying nothing following an intelligent question that you had earned the right to ask. So. What, 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 I, what I mean then, Tom, for everyone is, if you've done your research, if you're a person of integrity, you've got, you're, on, you're on your game, you're on track, you know your stuff, you go through a plan, you understand their goals, you connect with them, you empathise with them, we're bringing this all together. You have, at that point, in my opinion, earned the right to see whether they would like you to represent them. If you haven't done all the above, I'd be a bit uncomfortable. If I'm winging it and I haven't researched and my game plan's not on and I'm distracted, and I've got to say, I would find it difficult with integrity to ask the question, would you like to put me to work? I could probably still ask it, but so I make sure I've earned the right. 
I make sure the client's comfortable. I make sure I've asked, answered every question they might have. And that could take 30 minutes, that could take two hours, it takes whatever it takes. Um, and it could take one visit, or it could take two visits. Um, I, I, at that point, one needs to get some clarity around whether are we on the same page. If the answer is no, and you can't do anything about it, so if the answer is no, I'd say, look, I'd love to understand where you think we're off track, and is there anything I can do to, to bring us back on the same page? Now, ultimately, the answer could be no. At least I know I can wish you well. If you don't like the way I approach things, if you've heard bad things about me, for whatever reason you don't want to have me represent you, at least I can wish you well and move on and not expend too much more time and energy in that space wondering. But also say, Tom, best wishes with the sale. If things don't go to plan, I'd love to keep in touch because I, I still really love your house and, and I really feel that I could have got a great result. If it doesn't work out, would you mind if I kept in touch? I've never met anyone in 30 years of real estate that said, no, never call me again. Most people say, yeah, sure. Yeah, look, sorry about that, but there's something about this other agent that appeals to me, or I've really been strongly referred to her, and, and I just think she would suit this house a bit more. This is a small world. You don't want to burn any bridges. And, and I understand that to be highly successful, I don't have to get every piece of business. Mm. I want to get every piece of good business, but I don't have to get every piece of good business to actually achieve my own personal goals. So it, it, it's interesting, but I, I, don't, I don't feel uncomfortable in the process of asking for the business. Um, I don't do it too early because that can put people off. But just as well as sometimes, I, I know plenty of agents go to listing presentations, they do, they do the right job, they do all the research, then they don't ask for the right to represent them. And I just think, wow, well, you've missed an opportunity for a client that may have wanted to say yes, say yes at that particular time.